0: is Domingo and joining me today is a fellow runner and a baloney AP Tom McIntyre. Tom is very active not only as a runner but also in his acreage. He gets on cherry pickers with a chainsaw, cutting down trees for maintenance and generally the definition of a Canadian lumberjack I think uh, once we get to know Tom a little bit. I'm sure he'll explain that a little bit more to us. Uh, welcome to the show Tom and thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh well, thank you for having me Todd. Pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. So
1: let's perhaps start with you
0: losing your limb. How long ago was that? And, and take us through that.
1: Um, I lost my limb 15 years ago, um, February 19th, 2005. And uh, I'll go back a little bit there. Um, I used to drive tractor trailer for a living, float, move around heavy equipment, actually worked in Toronto too. And in 1987, I was hit by a car standing behind the truck, and I broke that same leg that I lost. I had two compound fractures below the right knee, and anyway, it took about a year to heal it up. And it healed up pretty nicely. I had a few little issues with it, but nothing too serious. And life went on. And then uh, I left Toronto in 2002 and moved back up here and took over the family farm from my parents. And anyways, in uh, February of '05, I was cutting cutting firewood, and it was the last tree I was bringing out for the season. And I almost cut that same tree down at the beginning of the season. When I looked at it, oh, maybe I'll just leave this thing alone, but it was bothering me. Eh? So I decided to cut it down this Saturday morning. And anyways, lo and behold, I just got to cut, put the notch in, got it going the way it was supposed to go. I guess the wind come up and did a bit of a spiral with it and sent the butt of the tree back at me. It was about 24 inches on the butt. Broke the same leg, half an inch below the old break. And it just literally blew it apart. But they tried to save it. I had numerous surgeries on to try and save it over over a a two-and-a-half-week period. And uh, knowing what I know now, I'm glad they didn't save it because I would have been more disabled having that limb on than I am wearing a prosthetic. And uh, the craziest thing about the whole injury is uh, three days before the accident, I just finished all my St. John's first aid CPR again. And uh, lo and behold, I was doing it all myself back in the bush. I did a tourniquet on my leg, the whole nine yards. And uh, actually, the, the paramedics give me a little bit of a tune, and they, they don't practice it anymore because people don't realize to loosen them off. But actually, you can put a tourniquet on and leave it on for two or three hours just to stop the bleeding. But when they uh, got my saw pants and everything cut off me, um, lo and behold, I blew the artery of the side of the leg. So then they said, okay, good job basically saved my own life back there and anyways well like it's an ambulance ride to the hospital then into Ottawa and spent about a month in the hospital until till the to the amputation well actually the amputation was uh the 12th of March and uh I remember I'll go back a little bit too. um the seventh surgery they were going to try a it's called a Lizarov brace which would they go in and they Shorten the leg, cut away the bone a bit on both sides, get rid of all the bad tissue because so I had two muscle flaps. He took muscle off both sides of my chest, but they both failed. But, anyways, what they do would have done is shorten the leg up. And then once it started to knit, they'd re break it in another spot and then slowly stretch it. And they've had a good success rate with that. But my surgeon, like partway through, halfway through the surgery, he decided, you know what, I think this is going to be about a 98% failure rate. He said, I'm not going to put this young man through this stuff. I was 42 when, when, when I lost it. And anyways, I remember waking up in the, in, uh, the recovery room, and I seen Dr. Fibel over at the corner. And I say, Dr. Fibel how's it going? he come over. You feeling okay? He said, yeah. I said, how did it go? And he said, well, he said, your wife is coming down tomorrow afternoon. We're going to have a discussion. Right then and there, I knew it was coming off. And I accepted it. Because I it's, it's, through all that trauma. And I'm trying to say, but I said, you know what? This is bad. And I said, let's see where this is going to go. And uh, I've always looked at it when I had two good legs. That was a chapter in my life. And now that I'm an amputee, it's a new chapter. And we're writing it as we go. And we're having fun doing it, too. Before you lost
0: the leg, they tried to grow the bone? Is that what you were saying? They're, they're, they, then... were
1: going, they were going to try and do it. But to
0: it, attach it to the other one, right? To, yeah, to, yeah, one, but, to residual,
1: yeah. yeah. But once the surgeon got in there, he's, the, the damage was so, so severe, he knew it wasn't going to work. But they've had success rates. They have had a good success rate doing this procedure where they literally mm-hmm. like join the bone, and then once once it starts to knit, and after sc- certain strengthness to it, they'll break it in another spot and then slowly stretch the leg again until it's the same length as the other one.
0: Right, I've heard of um, bone implants, for example. Right, yes. Um, where they take a bone from your hip, and they—I hear it a lot with um, upper limb amputees where, yes. or there may be a breakage in, in, you know, in in your bone on your upper limb. Um, so I guess it's a similar idea, but I can just imagine the length of the process for the healing of that to take. That means you'll be bed bound for a long time. Well,
1: it would have been over a year with that procedure.
0: And, and, and,
1: and and there's a lot of pain involved with it. You know what I mean? They're stretching and like, it's, it's so.
0: Yeah. I can just imagine, um, I've seen pictures of people who's going through, um, bone lengthening and bone, um, fixing where there's tons of, um, that apparatus that's, you know, our amputee friends sometimes posts on social media with, you know, the, the, the two round things with, with a lot of wires and. And screws attached to it. Yes, um, yes, To do the bone strengthening and bone mm-hmm. uh, lengthening. So it's a similar idea, then. Similar idea. Yes. In just to. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I didn't even know you went through that process. So when they went in there and said, you know what, this isn't going to be a way to salvage the limb. So when your wife came down, how did you explain that to her, or um, did you pre did you call her, going, by the way, when you get down here, this is what's going to happen?
1: No, I didn't know that. I guess he, the doctor, Dr. five had a chat with her and, me, and uh, Bonnie, Bonnie come down about one o'clock and we talked a bit this yeah. one, what's going on. We talked a bit about it. this is what it's going to be, but we pretty well knew it. And then he he uncovered the leg and that's really the first time I had a, a really good look at it. And right. yeah, this, this is gone. I This, this isn't salvageable sal- at all.
0: Right, right. And so, then, did you go back in immediately to OR and have the surgery, or um, was it a couple of more days, sort of to recover day, some more?
1: about a day and a half, two days. Like this was a Thursday afternoon. We had the meeting, and I had it the twelfth. The twelfth of March that year was a Saturday. Okay.
0: Did you have any more um, other injuries aside from from
1: the leg? No, it was, just, it was I thought just from that tree incident. It was just the leg. It just nailed me square below the knee. Yeah, I was lucky the way it hit me like it, the way it was in the snow like no matter which way I ran in the snow that tree did to fall on me and right. uh, I was lucky it didn't hit me in, in, in midsection or whatever you know what I mean I right. probably wouldn't be here sitting talking to you today
0: right oh yeah. for sure no I think th- and this was in the winter time too so
1: winter time too yes 19. so
0: I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out so did you have a cell phone with you to call nine one one or what did you
1: no, my father. My father was doing the the skidding for me, taking the trees out. And he just come back in just as it happened.
0: Oh, okay. So it's yeah. almost like in, in all timing as well. To,
1: yeah. And to, he was to wanting to put he was wanting to put me in the bucket of the tractor, and bring me out of the bush. And I said no. I said this is bad because I remember what the pain threshold from the first break. I said no. You have to go out and get people and bring them in here. Uh, right. Get some to go out. And like right. I said, uh, once he left, I, I, I cursed and I swore for about 10 minutes. Like, I mean, I didn't realize I could get put some good combinations together. And uh, I bet. I said, well, you know, this ain't doing any good. And I said, the sun, the sun was out and I looked up from the sky and I said, Lord, give me the strength to deal with whatever you're going to throw at me. And I calmed down and I started right. thinking. And then, like I said, I, I felt the wetness inside my sawpants. pants. I said, okay, I'm bleeding. I don't know how bad. I left everything on. I just took my belt off and did a tourniquet and I counted three, four minutes in my mind and I'd loosen it for a couple of minutes. I did that for an hour and a half until people got back. I was alone for an hour and a half.
0: Your mind must be so f- at that point going, I go into survival mode that I just have to do this, mm-hmm. right? So what else was it? Again, you said, it. you, know, you looked up at the sky and said, I got to do this. So after swearing, how long did you think that took you to calm yourself down and go, I got to do
1: this. It took me about five minutes to calm down and just say, okay, take a couple more deep breaths. And It was hurt. I was in a lot of pain. It was hurting. but I mean, mean? I got thinking about it and got concentrating on, like I said, doing the tourniquet on and got my mind away from it. Right. And, and then when the paramedics got back to me and the fire department, like the guy was sitting up, I was holding my knee while they're taking the boots and everything off and he's okay. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, like I got, I, when they saw it, I saw what it looked like. It actually looked worse in the hospital than it did at that point. And uh, they come back and they like, told me it was a snowmobile. And I uh, go back up to the house and in my barnyard there. I said, holy crap, where's, where's, where's the all that everybody come from? There must have been 50 vehicles or a, like, a volunteer firefighter. Like, everybody knew me, hey. Eh? So, like, everybody right. came running. Yeah, my brother's an OPP officer. Like, like, you know what I mean? The call went out and, okay, everybody knows where I live. And it's holy Oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> I didn't think I was that important. <laughs> the doctor that morning, when I went in, well, when he came to see me at the eMERGE, uh, Dr. Max Buxton, he was eating when he came in to see me. I remember him vividly today doing that. He just looked down at me. He said, yeah, you're going to Ottawa. <laughs> just like that.
0: So how far was the farm to the hospital?
1: Um, about 15 minutes away. To, okay, our, so to, they- our, local, to our local hospital. And then from from Renfrew to Ottawa, we're about an hour away. Oh, Okay, so you
0: didn't have to be airlifted to Ottawa.
1: Actually, they were trying to they were trying to get the chopper to take to airlift me, but they, it wasn't available. So, they took me by took me by road. That's one thing about a broken bone. Like I was seventeen up here; it's rough, eh? Like every bump in the road, you can feel it. i I remember saying to uh, victor was the uh, paramedic that was driving to say victor you better turn around and go back he said why i said there's a couple of holes you (laughs) (laughs) You know just 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 add
0: salt to the wound there why don't you yeah yeah. so this happened in your farm so let's talk about your farm so i and i and and i was saying this before about you i think the, the definition of a canadian lumberjack so tell us Tell us, I guess, what you're keeping yourself busy with, you, with your farm. Um, you know, you chop trees, how this accident kind of took place. You also raise cattle, and I know in one of the conversations we've had. Yes. And you you make maple syrup, or I you mean, harvest Yeah, maple. yeah maybe yeah. explain that whole process.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, like I, I, I raised, I have about uh, 30 head of cattle here. It's just a hobby farm, but it's a full-time hobby now. And uh the winter months I, I spend in the bush cutting firewood to heat the houses and everything. And uh, come springtime, I really enjoy it. Like I, I tap about 200. It's not a big operation. I tap about 250 trees and uh, all by pail. So I carry around five gallon pails collecting and no pipeline or whatever. Right? Kind of old fashioned. And uh, for about three weeks in the spring, I, I make my maple syrup, um, collect it. Uh, I spend lots of late nights out boiling it, boiling uh of uh, each batch, I'll spend uh, uh, 24 hours up without any sleep boiling it. I shouldn't say without sleep. I'll come in and sleep on the couch and set my alarm, and I go out every three hours and keep the fire going and, and, and boil it down. And then... Um, and the straining process, I'm learning stuff new every year. Actually, I bought myself. I used to just do it with filter cloth and stuff, and and this year I bought myself a filter press. I'm looking forward to doing it. it's goes through by gravity. it has got his own pump, and um, I used a friend's last year, and oh, it just makes brings the maple syrup out just crystal clear. And uh, last year I started making maple butter for the first time from the from from it, and uh, that's a, that's a process in itself too. Um, I like. Like maple syrup comes off. Like a lot of people will make maple syrup, and they just go by the thermometer and take it off at 216 degrees. Well, that's it's not maple syrup. It's more more water. It's got the taste, but it's it's watery. Right. And uh, anyways, I I use um, a hydrometer. That's about the best way to, to uh, test it. It's a little it's a thermometer that goes in a, a steel flute, and it floats in the syrup. Okay. And the red line, you wanna see just the tip of the red line over the top of the line of the syrup. That's when you know you're, at, well, it's supposed to be even with it, 66 brick. That's where you're, that's, that's legal maple syrup. But I usually take it to about 68, 69, sometimes 70. I like my syrup that doesn't run off the, run off my pan, say. Eh? And that's usually about 220 to 222, 220 to 19, 21 degrees and then when i make my maple butter i decide which stuff which syrup i'm going to use it's already filtered and everything else then you got to reboil it and uh, you boil it to about 235 degrees all right when you take when you take when it cools and you take it off it's just like molasses i mean it's thick and then uh, we let it let it sit for a day in the, in the fridge let it cool properly and then we got a special machine that we pour it into and it just whips it. it just turns it through the gears and it just turns it into a nice cream color and uh you know that caramel spread that you can buy in the store for your yeah. post and all that that's basically yeah. what the maple butter looks like
0: i'm having a face right now kind of going i don't think i've ever heard of maple butter maple butter or some maple cream okay maple cream okay so first maybe let's go back a little so you said a term that I think um, a lot of our non-Canadian or maple leaf connoisseur friends would understand about legal maple, <laughs> so <laughs> or legal maple syrup. So in Canada, everybody <laughs> maple syrup is like gold. Yes. You know, people steal it in truckloads. People steal it in drum loads because it's so expensive in yeah. in the market. It's like buying. Oil. It's like like I said, buying gold. Yeah. So uh perhaps explain the business of maple syrup in Canada for us and how your 20-pale uh maple syrup compared to the trucks and drums of maple that gets stolen in Canada each oh, of year. Of
1: course, I've got a couple of friends that are bigger in it, they're on the pipeline and they got huge evaporators and stuff. And uh one thing I like they they, they make beautiful maple syrup, it's it's a nice taste, but uh, The only thing I don't like about it with those evaporators, like they're using a reverse osmosis system, or RO system. Um, It takes 60 to 65% of the water out of the sap before it even boils. So that takes down on your boiling time. And I think that takes the the maple taste out of it. Because both places I've been in, as soon as you walk into the shack, um, you get a caramel smell. Mm-hmm. The syrup—it doesn't. You don't have that maple smell. So it's more of a caramelly smell, and 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 uh, the syrup has that kind of a caramel taste to it too. But anyways, uh, both my friends—they've—they've um, got—they—they—they they, they barrel it up. They they buy these. They've got these steel drums, uh, stainless steel drums, and they'll package it and put 50 gallons in a, in a drum. Okay, mm-hmm. and they ship it off to to. A, a buyer they buy it but then it's graded and then they're paid they're paid how much it's graded okay and these big producers that's all they do then it all goes into a big warehouse and uh then other than uh say like no frills or whatever they buy x amount of it then it's bottled okay right but it's also the stuff that you're buying in the grocery store isn't 100 percent natural maple syrup because it's cut I don't yep. know what to cut it with, but it's cut. <laughs>
0: As Canadians, we kind of know which ones are cut and which ones are right out of the sap and you roll it on ice or on your snow. Exactly. You just eat it like that, right? So exactly. I think each Canadian knows, no, this isn't 100 percent even though you claim it not such. So.
1: yeah. And like and and those those producers, like it's like I said, it's um when they're it's legal maple syrup, it's 66 grit. But there's a lot of backyard these that make it. Like I said, they take it off. At uh, 216 degrees, that's what the candy the maple syrup—that's what it is. But it's quite watery too. If you, when you take your syrup off at 26, say 216 degrees, like I take it off my fire, off the main fire, 217, 218, and then I finish it in a in a, a propane finisher, and mm-hmm. and it still takes me two two and a half hours to bring it to boil it down to 220 degrees. it's, it's a process the thicker wow. yeah and you can boil it over in a hurry too i've done that too all of a sudden just foam f- straight up over the top of the pan
0: <laughs> okay wow i you know what next time i visit uh ottawa run area i'm gonna have to make a stop at your place yes
1: no problem look forward to, to, to do it.
0: that you are certainly keeping very busy my friend Um, uh, even though all that you're still an avid runner yes uh, when did you take up running or have you always been a runner
1: I was never a runner until I lost my leg, believe that or not. My my wife, she was the runner. I was going to all her runs with her, and uh, I decided, you know what, maybe this is something I should try. And uh, I approached my doctor at the rehab center, and she put in a prescription, and my insurance company paid for my blade. I'm very fortunate of that. And uh, I just started out small. Eh? The 5K was my big runs, eh? and uh, did a pile of them, and then, slowly moved up to 8K and 10K, did them for a number of years. And then I started doing half marathons and I did three half marathons in Toronto, Ottawa, um, uh, Scotia um, Toronto waterfront. And then I decided, okay, let's try a marathon. So I did the Scotia, the Scotia bank waterfront in 2017. And uh, lo and behold, it was quick enough for Boston. So I said, okay, I tried. and I got in right off the bat. I got accepted at Boston. And then that fall of 2018, um, I applied for New York, and I got into New York, and I did New York too. And that was an amazing experience. But getting to Boston, I qualified for it. That was a, that was a road trip. That was a beautiful experience. And fortunately, I had troubles with my stump. About the 21k mark, I blistered up, couldn't figure out why, and I had to back it because I just rubbing the stump raw, and it was a hard decision, but I was it was the best decision I made. And then after that, I I still kept having blistering issues, and uh, I was using I've been using uh, the Swiftwick socks on my stump, and anyways, this is just this summer I figured what the problem was my Swiftwick. Was crinkling up underneath my liner, and that's what's causing my blisters. So I stopped using my Swiftwick, locks, Swiftwick socks.
0: Yeah, I think for us runners, I'm still. I mean, good for you that you're in the marathon leagues already. I'm. I'm still at that very early of five Ks uh, uh, racing uh, when it was around.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, you know, and, and and I you know, and I tried to and actually speaking of. Um, setbacks when you're a runner. I didn't run for three months straight from September, I'm sorry, from July 1st all the way to September, which is the biggest running season for us, right? It's it's June, July, August, September is like the ultimate running where you can run many races. Uh, You can run almost, you could literally run every day on those temperatures. Oh, yes. But uh, I had um, July, my last... Canada Day race that I did virtually, I developed a very large cyst on the back of my knee. And that took a good three months to heal from getting it opened up, getting it drained, and then ensuring that it healed properly before I could get on my running blades again. I think we had to be cognizant of those abuse that we put on our our legs to say, you know what, I got to stop running right now because I'm developing these because it sets you back even further, I feel like I have to start training again to be doing those distances, even though they're just 5Ks.
1: Yes, You just
0: have to build the tolerance again because my skin is not used to it. And what I find is we always have to look for, and I don't know about you, but for me, I find that I try one thing and it's like, nope, didn't work. Let me try something else. And like it seems to each season also, we have to find different combinations of what works for us. Right now, I'm putting... um, Tegaderm on that area that kind of gets rubbed a lot and causes the blisters and causes the, the, uh, the cysts. Are you finding that throughout the years that you're running and also the distance that you're running that you are finding these different combinations to your example about the Swift wick, do you feel that that's now married to, no, I'm never going to use a Swift wick again to, to in my future runs or, you know,
1: yeah, who knows, and it could have been, um, it could have been my socket causing it, because it's been, I've been waiting since January to get new sockets made, too, eh, so it could be a combination of the two of them, so when I get my new socket this winter, who knows, the Swiftwick may work with the new socket, but if it doesn't, if as soon as it doesn't, I'll get rid of it and just keep going. I got carry a little blue chamois around with me, like a granny, granny pack on my back, and that like pay attention as soon as you feel a little bit of pissing go on, on you stop take it off and i'm getting pretty quick at doing that like i can have the leg off and on and drive in about five minutes but you know what it is what it is my biggest fear was was falling and i remember one year it was a 5k run at the army run in ottawa and uh this this uh, gentleman decided he said do you mind if i run with you and i said no it's fine. i'm not going to say no i don't want to Upset anybody, and, uh, and I always watch where I put in my feet. I'm looking down at the ground all the time, and we're talking back and forth. And all of a sudden, my blade just did a skift on the asphalt, lost my balance, caught it, and then did it again. And I went down. And I don't know how I did it. I did a tuck and a roll, just back on my feet. And the only damage I had to myself was some scratches on my prosthetic.
0: <laughs> See, okay. So, yes. So we all share that, (laughs) the fear of falling. I've done many running clinics. I haven't had a fall through. I've had two falls, I would say. One was quite embarrassing because I was actually demoing how to run on running blades as a double amputee in front of hundreds of OTs and PTs in the United States. And sure enough, fall flat on my face. I tried to tuck and roll, but in yeah. my attempt to tuck and roll as we're all trained how to do fall gracefully is what i say is i have actually hit the my elbow and actually fractured my elbow on upon hit yeah. so that took months to heal that i wasn't even allowed to run after that whole kerfuffle happened and so the second time that this happened it was the it was just during covid There's only eight seconds left in my 5K, literally to my finish line and probably doing an amazing PB at this point. I'm really happy with this run. And I'm like, I'm going to stride to that, you know, last 500 meters or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not even an actual hill, but just a slant on the ground and my blade hit it differently. And I went flying, forgetting to tuck and roll this time because I was caught off guard hit my face flat on the pavement, breaking two of my front teeth.
1: I guess I remember you saying that, yeah.
0: <laughs> and my and my nose bleeding and my my lips bleeding. <laughs> and so yes, we do share all those injuries that come with running that usually runners don't run into. Yeah. You know, they they talk about chin splints, they talk about, you know, but no, our our damage is our face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Or a hundred thousand dollar. Well it's not a hundred thousand dollar but fixing a scratch or crack on a running blade or your socket, which costs yeah. a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You well, know. uh, Three weeks before my first marathon, I was out, I was doing a 21 K run on a Sunday afternoon and I was at the eight, I guess about the 17 K mark. And it's run along good. Listen to my music. eh? All of a sudden I'm lying on the ground. Said, How the hell did they get there. I looked at my arm. Holy crap. Scratched that all up. And he goes, why are my sunglasses sitting over there? Why is my bottle sitting over there? Eh? Then I got up and I was, and I, the whole side of my face, a road rash all the way down the side of it. Oh, yeah. And then I called, I called my wife and I said, uh, I said I had a bit of a fall. I said I'm going to go over to the hospital and get them clean it out because this gravel was all through me. Eh? And, it, right. and it looked worse than what it was. And uh, no, she couldn't believe I fell as hard as I did. But then you're gun shy after that a little bit. You know what I mean? You get out, you're a little careful. Like you, I'm glad I got that one out of the way because I did it a second time, but it wasn't, wasn't so, so bad, but still.
0: Right. It, it yeah, hurts. It does. How do you go back to something like a fall like that? Like how do you train back and how do you prepare for your races knowing that you had just had that and then you have a 5K coming up or or do you go from, that to another marathon and maybe we'll talk about how do you even prepare for your next marathon
1: well like getting back running after like i just like i don't know okay i know what's going to feel like if i fall again no stitches or anything so okay my biggest thing i was okay let's just get back on the horse like you can't okay this just happened it may never ever happen again you know what i mean and if we were afraid about it we'd never do anything that's the problem and uh well getting back to to Maryland, I guess between all my marathons, um I just start start off small. I could just, just run a training program. I start off okay, 3K today, and at the end of the week you're maybe running 5k, and next week you you bring it up seven, and slowly bring it up over a, uh, I guess a 30 week a 30-week schedule. And next thing I think the 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 longest my longest runs. I guess you are running about 31, 32 kilometers. That's most I'll run before a marathon and then slowly taper. Then the week before, I know two, two weeks before you're tapering. So you're slowly coming back and then hopefully everything works out for the day.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I've heard of that training. Again, I haven't started a full on marathon training. So I'm still working on an 8K and a 10K. And again, I find that with this setback recently, I'm starting all over again. And I always feel like I'm starting all over again, yeah. right? And with our winters.
1: That... You, have, you have two blades. Like I, I, do, I do, I I hate treadmills. I run on them. Um, I've done some winter running outside. I remember, I guess the first time I got a taste device, like I'm skating again. I do skate, put on skates and go. And anyways, we were doing, a it was a November run. It was a, one of mm-hmm. my friends up here and and there was a a fundraiser for cancer too for his uh his father and anyways I was coming into this corner and all of a sudden I just felt my blade just skating out like this on me I was on ice and it just actually the way my leg went out it felt like I was in a motion that I had a pair of skates on pushing myself off and I think the fact that I was used to that saved me from going down is able to catch my right. balance and keep going.
0: Do you wear cleats or do you wear the the rubber the usual rubber sole
1: um, even in the well, winter? Yeah, uh, until that point, I didn't do anything. But now I, I, I've got an old I've got an older uh, um, rubber sleeve that I have. I, I've got it I've got it studded up. So when I'm out on I go out, I'll, I'll put that one on.
0: Okay, so you do use it. You, you do use your Nike sole on. On the win- in the winter time.
1: Yes, but I but I bought I bought a cleat package to screw into the bottom of it, type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's just one of my older ones. No, and we're lucky up here too. Uh, the local Catholic high school where my son went to school, they just put a, a new track up this summer, a 400 meter yeah. track, and uh, they put the rubber pad on top of it too, and it's ever nice to run on. Were you supposed to run Boston this year too? No, no, I have to requalify for it again. I was supposed to do New York this year, but everything got cancelled.
0: Right, with, with COVID. Are there any other um, sort of races for the belt for you? Like, oh, I've done this race, and I've done this race, and, you know, are there, are there future races that you kind of go, I want to do that race next?
1: I think uh, I, I've go, I'm going back to Boston to finish it. I'm going to finish something I started. So I just got to requalify for it, and it's not going to be an issue. But I got taken this talking with some other people and that, I think, I think I like to try and do all six majors just to do, just for something to do.
0: And what are those six
1: majors? Cause uh, I only have New four, like, but go on. There's Boston, um, yeah. London, mm-hmm. I guess Berlin. And I think uh, isn't there one in, there's one in Sorry, Berlin. Sorry, So you
0: said Boston, New York, New York, London, London Berlin, London, yeah.
1: London, Berlin, Berlin, Chicago. Yeah. And what's just, what's the sixth one? Tokyo. Oh, okay, yes. The craziest thing is, like, for all my smaller, like, even my half, three half marathons I ran, mm-hmm. I never followed a training program. I just went out the door and I ran. Like, I've got hills here. I've got a side road that are on just up and down hills, lots of hill training, eh? And that's what puts you into shape, is the hills. And uh, when I did my first half marathon in Toronto, I was looking at, I don't know, two hours and 45 minutes, three hours, just to just to finish it. Right. And anyways, I ran it. I got done. I just, the last one, just before we committed, was a bit of a hill. I think it was at Spadina coming up the hill and a little bit of a hill. I said, I think I'm going to take a break going. Well, I ran pretty well to there. I said, I'm going to take a little bit of a break here, just walk part of the way up the hill. And this young lady came running over to me and put her, grabbed me by the way. She said, Oh, you're my superhero. You're my superman. I said, You had to say that, didn't you? And it, <laughs> you had to run. Yeah, away I went. Anyways, and I, and I finished it. I finished it in two hours and 14 minutes. And my wife, when we were done, she grabbed, give me a hug. Oh my God, I can't believe you just did that. I said, Neither can I. She said, Well, my first half marathon was I did this 245, and she can do it just about the two-hour mark now. She said, You beat me the first time. And I said, Sorry. So, anyways, the next year I went back and did it again and I shaved a minute off. I did 213. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, wow. And then that's what's got me thinking about marathons. I said, okay, maybe I can do this.
0: So, when you're preparing for for a race like Boston and New York, what's your regiment like then?
1: Well, when, when I decided to do a marathon, I I, I followed the uh, the running room program, running program John Stanton put out, and like I said, uh, I followed. It started out just like small kilometers, small to mileage, but but as uh, after the first two weeks, your your mileage is coming up. You know what I mean? Like the middle of the week run 10k then the next day you're back down to six type of thing hey eh? and then sunday is always your long run and i enjoyed it and like then you're supposed to have like uh, once you get into it um a certain amount of hills you're supposed to run every 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 day well i ran hills every day my thigh always on fire but the more i did it the less mm-hmm. it hurt the less it hurt and there's this one big hill i have just down, down the road from where I lived, like, I was always walking it. And then finally when I was, got my mileage up, I, I breezed up that hill like there's no tomorrow. And then the, the more I did it, the better it felt, and and the better my body felt too. And I said, geez, this is, this is going to be all right. But then, and I always do my runs either in the evenings or the mornings, the coolest part of the day. And uh, I got all my mileage in for it. and. Uh, Actually, I missed one of my long runs because because um, I fell. So I was just recuperating from that, but nothing nothing serious. And uh, anyways, marathon day that year, um, like October, it's usually cool, eh? Like I can remember my first couple of half my half marathons. So it was minus two, minus three at the start of the race. Beautiful. Well, marathon day was twenty eight plus degrees. I wasn't prepared for that. I'd pretty near killed me like the first half, the first half of the marathon, it was perfect, but then I struggled the last half, but it was still a lot of fun. I had energy left, and then crossing that finish line, that's, that's the emotional part, and uh, the crazy thing is, I thought I'd be running it by myself. Um, I'm, I'm part of Achilles now. I wasn't part of Achilles back then, and anyways, we did the my wife and I she did the three k that morning she didn't want to run she wasn't didn't train to run and uh I met this young lady from New Brunswick, and anyways, uh we get talking, and next thing you know, we've talked some more, and she was running it by herself and then John Stanton we got talking to him, he goes, "Well, why don't you two run together?" We both looked at each other He goes, "Yeah, why don't we?" so we looked up and she was my partner for the day and I was hers for the day. And it was a, we still keep in contact, but it was just a, it was an awesome experience. When I did New York, when I did New York city for the first time, like it was rain went down and left, drove down on the Friday, rain Friday, rain Saturday, got up Sunday morning, clear sky. And it ended up being, I don't know what's felt, but it was about 50 degrees for the whole race, which is beautiful. Like when the yeah. sun was down to cool out, but I mean, it was just a beautiful temperature. for You couldn't have asked for a better day. Like right. running through the yeah. five boroughs. Like it was just an awesome experience from start right. to finish.
0: How do you stay motivated in the winter months? Because we have such a short running season.
1: Well, winter months are hard for me to stay motivated, period. Like for, for my running, I have to force myself to do it. But as long as I'm in shape and it doesn't, I'm not uh, exerting myself too much. I keep at it, but mm. I, I struggle with it too. But, yeah. but but the fact that, okay, there's no races in the time for me and I'm in the bush, so I'm treading through two, three, four feet of snow, walking through it all the time. Same thing with my maple syrup season and not too. So my legs are staying in shape all the time. I can't believe how right. well, but if I, if I don't, there's one winter, I didn't do any running and all of a sudden a 10K showed up I didn't even train for it yeah.
0: But let's talk about now your um, advocacy and your work with the amputees in the area in the community. You do um, peer visiting in the Ottawa area, correct? Or in, yes, in yes, your, yes, I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, I
0: do. Yeah. Do you work in? Um, you work with hospitals as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, so well, I, right? I well, I get I usually get a call from my doctor. That's how okay. I get it. And then she says, "Do you mind?" First, she says, "I need a small favor." It's always that from her, right? Eh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I said, what would you like? And then to um, people that know me, like I just got a, a call this year, and uh, um, the gentleman I know, the gentleman, he said, my next-door neighbor, and uh, he said, they've got a young infant. He wasn't even a year old, and his leg was deformed, and he was having an amputated. He said, mm-hmm. I told him about you. Would you mind going to talk with them? And I, could, and, and, and I worked that way too, right? Eh? And, uh, and it was, it was more for the parents. Like they were, they didn't know how they were worried about their, their son growing up and being, uh, teased and bullied because he's an amputee and stuff like that. And I kind of reassured them that as, you know what, he's going to be the cool kid on the block. Mm-hmm. I said, he's going to have people that sticking up for him. I said, just put that, he's not going to be teased about that at all. I said, right, yeah, and then yes, my my doctor, um, Dr. Dudek in Ottawa, like she calls me quite regularly. Not since COVID's been on, but I do, do I do hospital visits and uh, and uh, I even see cancer patients too. It's just not It's just not uh, um, people losing their legs from uh, accidents or car accidents or motorcycle accidents, and even with some military personnel too. I've I've, I've dealt with some of them too. eh? And, mm-hmm. uh, and then also two people that are uh i've dealt with people that have had their legs badly broken and then they're having them amputated two and three years after the fact mm-hmm. probably then they say you know what after they've had it amputated um, i should have had this done a long time ago i should never have had it saved you know but it's 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 a hard decision okay your legs should be amputated but can i keep it like people just don't like Making that decision to have it off.
0: Yeah, I know for sure. I, you know, um, pardon me for stopping you there, but that's, that's okay. but that, I, I'm in the same situation. I was in the same situation. Had I known what I know now, I would have probably have chosen to do the same thing years and years ago when I was younger. But you don't know what you don't know, right? So it's it's, right. hard, it's hard to to say that. So, and I always say, you know, everyone's situation is unique to them, and if and if you could share your journey in with somebody and say, this is what I went through. And this is what I, you know, this is the outcome of it for me. I mean, you're a great example. I joke about you being the Canadian lumberjack of all things, you know, <laughs> chopping wood still at your, to still be doing that and plowing through, walking through four feet of snow and and running marathons. That's a great thing to see and motivator. I think for a lot of the AMT, especially new ones, um, I always say I'm more able now, yes. Than when I was, when I, when they saved my legs. Yep. It's everyone's unique in in that way, but I think it's important for them to also see success stories like ourselves to say, hey, this, this would could happen. And this is, we'll not kid ourselves that it also turns the other way, but for us.
1: Yeah. And I also tell people too, like I said, I'd be lying if I said it didn't hurt. Like there's days it hurts, but you know what? Everybody has pain, whether you got two good legs or, or whatever everybody has their pain it's just how you persevere through it
0: and i wanted to go back to what you said earlier about moving forward and almost immediately for yourself that this is going to be because i think that that certainly helps with recovery and outlook when you said you know even before you lost the leg that you made up in your mind that that was an old chapter of you and this is a new chapter.
1: Yeah, I pretty well the same least way you described it. Like I said, yeah, like I said, the seven surgeries to try and save it. And like this all happened, the seven surgeries all happened within a week and a half. Like it was just a blur. You know what I mean? I didn't know whether I was coming or going. And I said, okay, this is done. That's got to go. I said, I, this is no good for me like this. like this. Let's see where this is going to get me. And you know what? It, it wasn't, the first year wasn't easy on me. Like I, I should have went with that way too. But I was in, got my first prosthetic in, in May. And within, I had a, a long scar on the front of my tibia, about three and a half inches long, and about an inch and a half wide. And within three days of wearing my first prosthesis, I wore a hole the size of a dime in my in my scar from my first break, and that's something the surgeons, well, doc, uh, not the surgeon that did it, but when they discussed the amputation, they said they go in and they remove it above my old break site, so I'd have a nice clean healthy stump. But then the surgeon that did it, he said, "No, oh, I left you a nice long stump. It'll be fine." Blah blah. blah. Okay, you know what? You're, I I don't know. You guys know what you're talking about. But anyways, within three days of wearing my first prosthesis, I wore that hole the size of a dime in the old scar. And then it wouldn't heal. So then they took me out of it. Like, I was walking perfectly. I said, great, this is good. I learned how to walk again. Actually, it come quite, it come quite naturally for me, too, walking. And anyways, so all that summer of 05, I was out without a prosthesis. I was on crutches. And then September, I think September 12th, I had the revision done. and no infections until then. I ended up with an infection and then I ended up with another infection after that. Like the whole year was a write-off. And I remember going in in December, just before Christmas, I got a prosthetic, I'm up and walking. Perfect, I'll be walking for Christmas. Now I come home the weekend before Christmas, back down on the 21st, which was the Monday. And I said, my stump is hurting. And Dr. Jick said, Well, maybe you overdid it. I said, No, I said there's something here. And he was just give it a day. We'll check it tomorrow. Anyways, I went back up to my room. Just got into bed and she was right there at my bedside. She said, I'm gonna go on your instincts. She said, You've been right about everything so far. So she sent me for uh, an ultrasound, showed where the pocket of the infection was. And they were able to, and then she sent me for a radiation bone scan just to make sure it wasn't in the bone. Um, she put me on an oral antibiotic, which was strong enough to uh, deal with deal with this one. So home for Christmas, crutches, come back on the 3rd of January. That new prosthesis I got made, in the garbage, wouldn't fit because the swelling was gone. <laughs> right. But once they made me that one, that first prosthesis of 2006, there was no looking back. I had no problems after that. Just some minor skin issues, some blistering here and some blistering there. But other than that, it's been good.
0: Yeah, I find I find with um, a lot of amputees and, and you know, I get questions a lot and asked a lot about when is this going to be over? And I don't think it really literally is. Uh, oh. To your point, the first year alone is a lot of fact-finding, a lot mm-hmm. of for yourself, a lot of learning for yourself on how... Your body is going to work, and again, we're all unique in our own ways. That, you know, that one one fix for someone is not the same fix for you. And I think no. that's a lot of people, a lot of new amputees. I find is that comparing one over the other, and it's like their experience is not going to be the same as no. yours. Their body's unique.
1: Yeah, everybody's is different. Yeah, it's, it's going to fit differently. And like Joan, she like you know, Joan, she was asking. Mm. Like, I forget what's your what's your prosthetic supposed to feel like when it's on. And uh, I was trying to explain it to her, and then we got off the phone. And then that night, it just, or that next morning, I was putting on my liner, and then it has come to me. I said, and I called Joan, I said, I said, you want to know how your prosthetic is supposed to feel? I said, you know that feeling when you put your liner on in the morning, that snug feeling? That's the comfortable feeling you want to feel when you put your socket on. That's mm-hmm. the best way I can describe it and then you got to you got to learn okay is it pinching me here you, you got to pick up those fine spots to let you process this no way and right. and today people that are amputees today have got it mainly like, back in 05 there was none of these like I didn't hear of any of these amputee groups or anything I I was on my own I, I had no there was no peer visitor for me or anything I was I, mm-hmm. on my own mm-hmm. and, I rem- and I remember somebody asking me once at one of my High schools. I talk at high schools on a, on a regular basis and all that. And somebody asked me, "Well, what was your depression like?" Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't depressed. It just. I don't know. It just. It was just. Felt natural to me. Right. Because I went through all that trauma, and then now I'm feeling. Like, I remember when the when the, when they amputated. I had no more pain. My pain was gone. You know what I mean? No hurt to me. it had a little bit. I don't know. I didn't feel anything. And then, right. I had my, and then when I had my revision, I said, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. No problem. Well, was I wrong there? Because they cut in the fresher tissue and healthier bone, eh? I hurt like a bugger.
0: <laughs> For me, it was relieving myself of the ball and chain. I had 15 years of infections, of dealing with a back and forth, of trying to save a limb, right? Going into surgeries, removing this. Fixing this tissue, an infection of the tissue, removing that tissue, removing this piece of bone, whatever it may be, right? It just kept going on for fifteen years. so for me, it was thank goodness it's gone. again, when the, when I'm asked that, why aren't you grieving your limb? It's like, I think I grieved my limb years before this whole thing, and so I, I I'm kind of done, and so it' just move on. What I'm saying to people is that not everybody experiences it that way, and you shouldn't compare yourself. No, Uh, to others that way because and don't because i think what it does is it frustrates why am i not walking yet why am i not there yet why am i not this yet why am i you know and instead of focusing on yourself and looking into yourself and saying how do i let myself adapt and understand my body so that i know how to adapt to this new life instead you're you're consumed with why is that person doing this better than i am
1: yeah yeah, they want it. They they want it, and they want it right away. And, then, right. and and I always tell people too when they you know what, baby steps. You know what I mean? Don't try and go out. This real like they had, they reeled me back in too. Like I was like I was good. I I sat down with this because okay, I had that one. I had quite a few setbacks with the revision and not null five. Okay, now uh, I'm taking ten steps forward. I want to keep taking that extra step. I don't want to come back 10 steps either. So I, I listened to them and then we slowly moved on.
0: And I, got, right.
1: and I got, and I got, and that's what I try and tell people too. I said, don't try and rush. Just everybody's different. And baby mm-hmm. steps. And he says, not every day you get to, like, do you remember how, do you remember how you felt when you walked for the first time when you were a year old? No. Well, now you know. But just, right. just. Baby steps. <laughs>
0: right. I was going to ask you if you had any more tips for, for our new amp- amputees or advocating for themselves, but I think you've expressed that. Unless you have any other tips that you can share with our listeners, even advocating for themselves, I think that's important too.
1: Again, always know what's going through. Like pay attention um like you know if you feel something different going on in, inside your socket like the piston going on like it only takes five minutes to take it off and dry it and keep going and you're going to stay out of uh you're, gonna, you're not going to end up with blisters and that i think there's some days i forget like, oh, i gotta keep going and doing this saying eh? and then, then you know oh god i got a blister i should have paid attention to that and then like little things around the house like you know they say they they want us to do our shower and bathing in the evening they don't want us to put on a uh a socket or a liner over a wet or, or wet skin and stuff like that well being on the farm and all that like you know and i'm in the barn for a couple of hours and i gotta go do something so i take a shower so i have a hair dryer and everything set up at a chair i sit down and took the hair dryer to my stump and dry all the hair and put it back on like this just little little things like that and uh and, and you keep everything healthy and one thing yeah. that i do for, work, for works for me like you know with even with my liners like I use like yourself too you use a shower seat in the in the shower. You know what? My liner comes into the shower with me. I go I wash my liner, throw it to the side, take my shower, hang it up, away you go. Clean.
0: But this is this is great, Tom. Always appreciate your insight and enjoy talking with you. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your journey. I look forward to seeing updates on your races when we can all race again hopefully soon. And hopefully one day you and I can race together. I've always wanted to do the Canada Army run in Ottawa. So certainly looking forward to that sometime in the future. Again, many thanks to Tom McIntyre. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Ampeteo Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The Amphitheater Show Podcast.